This is the Rings of Power podcast on TV Podcast Industries. This time we're talking about the Rings of Power, episode five, Partings. So the fate of the entire elven race is in my hands. So it would appear. Say that again. The fate of the entire elven race is in your hands. Whose hands? Yours. Welcome back, fellow ringers, to the Rings of Power podcast on TV Podcast Industries. We are talking about episode five of the Rings of Power partings. I'm one of your hosts, Derek. Hello there, fellow ringers. Welcome back. Uh, I'm one of your other hosts, John. Doing double duty this week on our Rings of Power podcast as we've uh, just returned from holiday. So I uh, got to see two episodes this week in one week. That's kind of awesome, isn't it? Yeah, it was really good, actually. Yeah, I think because we watched the epic of uh, of all three uh, Hobbit movies in the last couple of weeks uh, before we went on holidays, um, I'm kind of expecting all the episodes to be really long. And this one was about an hour and 15 minutes on its own. Yeah, I think they both were. I mean, mm. you really do feel like you're getting a big big slice of cake um mm-hmm. with these episodes yeah. you know uh, and not just because of the epicness of them but mm. you know there's a lot of story being told here yeah. uh, and i'm really my, enjoying it i think my notes are running to like three or four pages for, for every episode of, of uh, rings of power which i'm really enjoying again it's it's just one of those things about this universe it's so deep with massive races of people loads of cast members it's uh it's really really good well that's um, it yeah. that's it i mean half the the problem coming back after a, a break for a week and a half mm-hmm. is remembering the names. It's like, who's that again? Yep. Oh my goodness, I can't pronounce it. I uh, okay, <laughs> grand. But once you get back into it, it's just picking up where you left off. Exactly. So uh, yeah, really, really have been enjoying these episodes of Rings of Power. Good stuff. Hope you've been enjoying them as well, uh, fellow ringers. Um, if you haven't subscribed to the podcast yet, make sure you go to the website at tvpodcastindustries.com uh, where you can find podcasts uh, for every single show that we're covering on TV Podcast Industries, you can subscribe over there on any good or evil podcast catcher uh, of your choice. Uh, you can also email us with your thoughts about any of the shows that we're covering to feedback at tvpodcastindustries.com or pop on over to our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash tvpodcastindustries uh, where we have a spoiler post up for everything that we're covering as well. Yeah, good stuff. Let us get into our spoiler-filled chit-chat about episode five of the Rings of Power Mm -hmm. partings. Derek, what are some of the episode details for episode five? 
Well, this show, of course, is based on The Lord of the Rings and the appendices by Professor J.R.R. Tolkien. Uh, the showrunners for the show and executive producers are J.D. Payne and Patrick McKay. Uh, this episode was directed once again by Wayne Chi Yip. Uh, episode five of the show was written by Justin Doble, who wrote episode three as well. Ah, excellent stuff. Yeah, yeah, a returning writer. Exactly, exactly. And John, do you want to tell us what they gave us with your synopsis for episode five, Partings? Sure. While protecting Nori and the other Harfoots from a wolf pack, the stranger's use of magic injures his own arm. He heals it using conjured ice, and as Nori attempts to help him, she is accidentally fused to him by the ice. Panicked, she attempts to struggle free and is flung away from him as she manages to free herself from the icy hold. Frightened, she flees from the stranger. In Numenor, Gladriel convinces Halbrand to join the expedition to Middle-earth after retelling her battles and losses against Sauron. Mm. At the same time, Kemen, son of Farazon, attempts to destroy the expedition ships, believing Gladriel and Miriel will take the fall and allow Farazon to rise to power with the people's support. However, he is caught by Isildur, who is rewarded with a spot on the expedition crew. In Linden, Gil-galad reveals to Elrond his knowledge of and intention to use the dwarvish Mithril to extend the existence of the elves in Middle-earth, as their life force is diminishing. Elrond admits this discovery to Prince Durin, his friend, and they return to Kazakh Doom to try and convince King Durin III that in his hands lies the very existence of elf kind in this world. In the Southlands, half of the townspeople cave into Adar's demand and join him, believing him to be Sauron. Theo shows the broken sword to Arondir, who realises it is a key to help warp the Southlands into Sauron's realm of evil and darkness. With the Watchtower at Osterith now the target for the oncoming Orc army headed by Adar, the remaining townspeople prepare for battle against the approaching army, and they light the Watchtower's beacon to signal for help. Another episode with lots and lots going on, but let's discuss these tales of Middle-earth with our first tale from episode five. Uh, Let's talk about Nori um, to begin with and the Harfoots. Um, It's just a small scene, but because we didn't see them last episode, uh, let's have a a quick chat about uh, what's going on with them. Uh, We know they were put at the back of the pack for the migrating uh, Harfoots, and we get a little bit more information about what what happens with them they move every season to a different location that's better suited and has more food which i really like you know they are they are nomadic as a tribe yes. so i love learning a little bit more about about why they move to different locations this idea that um you know you move to one place that has strawberries uh, during the summertime and then you move to somewhere that has more winter fruits uh, <laughs> during the during the winter period that's fully uh, able to support your whole uh, your whole tr- troop or tribe but Interestingly, we only see Nori and Poppy and Nori's family and the stranger here. So they are quite far behind the rest of yes, the caravan, it seems. They, they are. And I loved how they depicted that migration with the map. Yeah, I, in particular, I really like seeing like the, the different parts of Middle-earth as we went with this migration through the map. Uh, in particular, the Grey Marshes, which we see in the two towers that um, Frodo and Samwise Ganji um have to navigate with all the dead elven forces elven that are in the, the Great Marshes become the dead marshes. Basically. Yeah, I think so, yeah. Um I may be wrong though, but yeah. I think so. But it it did feel like that kind of place, yeah. Yeah, like, it really did. It's kinda of like, you know, pre 
dead elves mm. in it. Yeah. Um, so I, I really liked how that uh, was depicted. Yeah, I, I love that it was done to that tune that was sung by Poppy, the the yeah. kind of history of her family's migration sung uh, to the rest of them to kind of encourage them all along. I thought that exactly. was beautiful. That, that then repeated at the end of the episode, uh, the full uh, the full orchestral version of it done at the end of the episode. That I, felt It felt really epic for this group of Harfoots that definitely. are the smallest people in this world and their big travel. I even yeah. like that, you know, once they've stopped, we see um, the stranger Nori you know, learning words yeah. or Nori teaching the stranger different words, one of them being migration. Mm-hmm. And of course, maybe for some people slightly on the nose, but, you know, the words of peril or good coming into it, you know, whether, mm-hmm. um, you know, the stranger believing that maybe he is peril because mm-hmm. of what happened with the fireflies that we saw in the early episode. Uh, but Nori being convinced, no, you're, you're good and, and teaching him, uh, that as well. So, yes, but is he? Exactly. Mm. Well, that's the interesting thing because there, there isn't, um, even though we do get the Harfoots, there isn't a great, we, we don't come back to them after we have the, the stranger protecting Poppy, Nori, and, um, one of the elder women from the Harfoots, mm-hmm. um, from the, the wolves. Yes, of course, we do see the rest of the Harfoots because they uh, they went through the forest. Yes, yes. I almost forgot about that. <laughs> you know, and, and the, there's yeah. there's warnings here as well that the forests are very bare for mm. this time of year as they're migrating and people are getting hungry with, with little food. And you have this wolf chase uh, of... Uh, as I say, of Nori and Poppy and another one of the village elders. Mm, that's the Pro- one that keeps trying to throw them out, isn't it? Yes, no, uh, protected uh, Malva. Yep. in the end and helped by the stranger who seemingly gets injured in the process. And you have this uh, you know, really interesting sort of way that he puts his hand in water mm. and then freezes it and his arm, yeah. and that seemingly is either restoring or doing something. Creating but he's his own kind of, private ice bath. Yeah, but <laughs> in some kind of trance, Nori gets caught as she puts her hand on his forearm mm. as the ice extends and it is effectively trapped there and she's trying to get it out because yeah. is it going to go over all her body or something? Yeah. And, uh, she's and, panicking yeah. and... I don't quite know what happens, whether she pulls it out or whether it's because of what she's doing. It's something coming from the stranger, but she's flung away from him. Mm. Um, and immediately her whole kind of attitude or, or at least changes uh, towards the stranger. She's kind of cowering. Well, suddenly and, she's scared of him. Yeah, yeah, she's suddenly scared of him mm. and sort of, doesn't stay with him, runs away from him as he's coming towards her. Um, And you get that great moment where the trees are creaking, Mm. sort of almost bending towards him as he looks looks after her um, as she runs away. So it really, again, this... Guess it's just still throwing doubt on the stranger as to who he is um, and why he's fallen in a meteor to Middle Earth. Mm-hmm. And we get another, you know, we see here people 
I, I don't know, white witches or of some description uh, or wizards coming to the, the place where the stranger that where the meteorite had fallen to Middle Earth. Yes, somebody else has discovered the location. We saw that in the first episode when uh, the stranger's meteor came to Earth. We saw that everybody in Middle Earth, all our main characters anyway, and the Ents, uh, were all looking up, seeing this. So it's something that was visible all across Middle Earth. Yeah. And this completely new group i think they don't look like uh no. they don't look like the elves they look a bit more uh more evil uh than that but yeah uh, a bit darker um but um, a lot for, more frownier yes like, uh, lots of frowns going on from the lead um m&m which yeah uh or m&m yeah <laughs> the blonde haired shaved one uh looked a bit like m&m uh didn't yes. look, didn't look very happy maybe it was just a, a, a tough trip to get there that's it. Um, you know, yeah. who are they? What are they doing? Friend or foe? Absolutely. But, Answers on a postcard. <laughs> I, guess. I, I guess we're def- we're going to see more of them uh, in the future. But interesting to see somebody else has gone and found this location where uh, where the stranger sat down. But of course, Nori's going to be starting to question uh, her complete belief that the stranger is good because she's been able to kind of um, play off everything that's happened. You know, the the fire that didn't burn her. Um, well, that was a cause from the meteor. It wasn't really the, uh, wasn't really the stranger that did that. You know, the fireflies that burnt out in the sky. Well, that could have been an accident. You know, he, she knows she can't even talk at the moment. He hasn't got much language. So maybe that was just a learning process. Um, the power that he uses to stop the wolves, you know, he was, he was defending them. So that's something good, yeah. right? But now this moment of, accidentally almost killing nori because he's in the trance and she gets connected to him by the ice you know that's uh that's something that you, you can't deny that that's quite dangerous um that she could have died in that moment yeah it's um, like her instinct mm-hmm. um her her gut feeling towards him changed yes. in that instant whether there's some kind of connection mm-hmm. who knows, maybe but... Yeah. but it sense like danger is here um, yeah exactly so what did you think of the power from uh from the stranger uh knocking away the wolves uh, that really reminded me of uh of gandalf's thou shalt not pass kind of um banging yeah. the ground to release this kind of uh, this pushing power yeah. well that's yeah it really did it, it just without the staff yeah effectively maybe that's why gandalf yeah. never hurt his arm like uh, <laughs> the stranger did <laughs> yeah exactly but it, it, yeah, it really did feel reminiscent of that again another reason to doubt possibly nori's instincts or mm-hmm. you know and um, so yeah, I, I guess the jury's still out as to whether the stranger is friend or foe as yeah, well. Exactly. So uh, there's still, you know, a lot to to discover here. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I like how it's teasing that. I, yeah. I like how it's not just making it one or the other at this stage. There's a lot of time to play with that gray area. Mm-hmm. And part of that came with, you know, the discussions on, on the different words, you know, Nori's interaction with him. So, mm-hmm. you know... It, the only thing I was surprised is that we actually didn't see the Harfoots again after that incident. Yeah. Yeah. I was expecting it something to happen later in the episode, and mm-hmm. it never did. So I have a feeling that potentially it could be quite big in that we'll get it in the next episode yeah. and maybe a bit more time with it to to, to, to just kind of digest it and, mm-hmm. and, and understand what's going on here. Yeah. Because there was also... A lot of other stuff going on in this episode. There certainly was. We move on to another tale uh, from this episode. What do you want to go for for tale number two, John? We go to the Southlanders. We go to Numenor. We go to Casadoom, John. I think like... we should go. I think tale number two should definitely be Elrond's struggle to stay true to his oath. Ooh, yes. Um, a really 
enjoyed this, uh, to be honest, because I think at its heart, there was this revelation to Elrond um, mm-hmm. as well from Gilgalad uh, and what he knew about um, the Mithril. You know, oh, th- yeah. th- this is the thing. It's that him and Celembrabor both knew of it and didn't bring him into their circle of trust. Mm. And so this was new information totally to him. Used and him like, yeah. Totally used him, but mm. ultimately stood his ground to some extent um, with Gilgalad. I-, I loved how Gilgalad effectively reveals how Mithril formed mm-hmm. within Very the mountain on, on Kazakh Doom. This- yeah, I was a little confused about the location, though, I must admit. Um, I'm, as I say, not a Tolkien scholar, <laughs> but they're in Kazakh Doom. That's where the mines are. And they said this battle between the... Um, the elf, elfin warrior and the Balrog took place on a tree above the Misty Mountain, which yes. I thought was where the other seat of power was. I didn't think the two of those locations were the same place, Kazadoom and uh, and the Misty Mountain. But he he, mm. he talks about how the roots. Mm-hmm. So the the this whole event, which called forth the the light of the valor in, yeah. in order to protect the elf warrior from the Balrog, one of Morgoth's, um, you know, probably with the exception of Sauron, one of his main uh, beasts, yeah, probably uh, most, powerful. most powerful yeah. beasts. Yeah. That, um, it's cool to see that Balrog there, actually. But the, the, the extension of the Mithril from the tree mm-hmm. went far and wide. Right. So, I, I mean, I'm guessing it's that. But okay. I really enjoyed um, this story mm-hmm. uh, of uh, of where Mithril its provenance effectively. You know, it's the light of lost Cimmerils, um, mm, yes. and it's forged from this battle of a pure elf and uh, a Morgoth Balrog. But very cool. Yeah. It, it's really good. But it, didn't it feel like something from Norse mythology? Like it felt yeah, like that, it really that kind of did. Thing, you know, how you really, explain the stars or how you explain the moon yeah, or something. It, yeah. it really did. It, it really felt weighty. It felt old, mm. uh, an old tale. But the tension that this brings between Elrond and Gilgalad, you know, you lied to me about the intention of uniting dwarves and elves. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that, you know, the rev- then the next reveal that the light of the Eldir is leaving the trees. And we, we saw this earlier on in one of the episodes where it's almost like a dark blight on, on the leaves That's right, yeah. uh, from one of the trees around Linden. And, you know, as a result of this, that the, the power of, of elves is diminishing their life force. And this will ultimately mean that they will have to leave uh, Middle Earth. Um, and or crumple and die and be lost to history. Yes, um, exactly. Yeah. And darkness will fall. Mm. Um, so you know, actually, huge stakes here for yeah. for the elf, the race of elves. Um, but I, I really like the fact that Elrond is insistent to keep the secret to keep the oath that he promised um, that was entrusted to him by Durin. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, um, you know, you're going, well, Elrond's got a really big decision here. It's the oath to Durin or save Elfkind. Mm-hmm. And he simply is honest and truthful with Durin about what yes. happened. To some extent, I say that in the he says he's lied, 
but he doesn't say that he was also misled in in, in yeah. this. He protects Gilgalad mm-hmm. while also explaining it to to Durin. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. I guess by extension, Gilgalad Celebrimbor also will know of this. You know, to well, some extent. we see Gilgalad looking on um, yeah. while they're having the discussion, but um, but it is a really interesting one. It's almost like Elrond's kind of admitting he is at fault here because they used him and his relationship with Durin to get the information that they wanted, even though he wasn't aware of it. Elrond's the kind of person that is sensitive to this and saying, well, they basically used my friendship with you, but is taking some responsibility for that. He's not blaming Gilgalad and, and Celebrimbor. Yeah. Um, he's actually saying, I knew of this. I came to you for, for this reason. Um, speaking of lies, uh, absolutely loved the, uh, <laughs> Durin taking the, uh, the massive stone table back from the elves. Um, <laughs> exactly. because I truly believed it. I thought this was another reveal of, uh, the history of, of the dwarves. We've <laughs> yeah. had these great moments throughout the last few episodes of learning stuff about their history. And I was going, wow, how awful of the elves to take the, uh, the headstone stone of, uh, of the dwarves and make a table out of it, you know, <laughs> and then they give him back the table. And it turns out he just needed a new table for Disa. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I know. It was Brilliant. really, it was a nice little touch. Yeah. Uh, and, and also in turning the knife with, uh, with Elrond, effectively when Elrond's saying the entirety of the elven race, um, is in your hands. And he goes, well, whose hands is it in? Um, <laughs> is it the entirety of the elven race? Could you repeat that again? Say please? that again. Exactly. <laughs> no, nice little gag that. Yeah. But again, it, it just really underscores and reiterates the, the friendship that they have in the sense that, you know, whether Durin knows it or not, you know, they are friends mm-hmm. and there are other things given their station. He is a prince uh, and the the next king of the dwarves. Mm-hmm. Elrond is high up in the elven king's, you know, council. Yes. So I think, you know, it, it's coming at it from that perspective as well, mm-hmm. uh, that their friendship is in a place that, is very mutual. It's based on respect, but you know there are things to work out between the dwarves and the elves. Yeah. Ultimately, yeah, it might get them nowhere um, because they still got to go and convince King Turin yeah, well, um, to to understand and to accept that this deep seam of riches that they've just discovered for uh, for the entirety of saving the dwarven race or making them at least very very rich uh, may have to be handed over. Because if you heard from uh, Salem Brimbor, he says. Um, they will need all of it. They will need every single piece of Mithril that they can get their hands on. And maybe if enough of them have this armor, that will allow them to bring back the light and keep them alive for longer. We'll give them this long, yeah. uh, this long life. And that's even a might work. Uh, they need to get everything to be able to give them a chance to live on. Um, yeah. So interesting. Yeah, interesting. absolutely. But again, I really, I've, I'm really enjoying this, this, story mm-hmm. this this part of this arc of the story being told through Elrond and Durin's friendship I yeah. think it really adds a, a personal layer Definitely. and just allows for characterization around this story or you know of the two of them of Deezer and the others involved like yeah. Celebrimbor and Gil Gallows 
within this wider story. Exactly. You know, it's exactly. really good. Isn't it? It's, it? They've just done such a great job uh, on this show. And again, you're you're talking about one season of one story arc that they're delivering here on, on Prime Video with uh, these eight episodes in this first season. So it's interesting that while the length of time of this is probably equal to The Lord of the Rings, you're talking about a much more confined story being told so that allows them to give even more time over to characterization and spending time with these races and with these people uh, and learning more about them than you would have in the lord of the rings trilogy because yes. you only had a certain amount of time with them and that was one of the criticisms i know from a lot of people who read the books there's so much time spent with the individual characters and learning who they are but when you've got a movie you may have a character that's got 20 pages in, a, in in Lord of the Rings who gets one line on screen. You're supposed to guess who they are from that one line, whereas here we're getting lots of time uh, with all these characters done uh, really well. Really enjoyed this one. Yeah. Um, is that it for tale number two, John? Yes. Yeah. Let's move on to tale number three, the split of the Southlanders. Oh, yes. Yeah, there's mm-hmm. a lot here, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, because we see that half of the Southlanders go to plead fealty to Adar, um, after his message, uh, was delivered. Yes. And half of them, um, remain within the watchtower of Astirith, which I always, I was assuming it was an elf watchtower mm. without really looking at the architecture of it, which is quite clearly not elven. Yes. Um, but that it is a former orc or Southlander human uh tower, tower yeah. during the Morgoth War, the Great War, mm-hmm. uh, which then the elves have reused to uh, as this watchtower to watch over the humans in the Southlands. So exactly. uh, but from from that is um I guess one of the big sort of points that opens up here as to how Mordor will be created mm. uh, potentially yeah. um, and, and connects back to Adar saying I'm not a god, well not yet yeah, uh, in, in yeah. terms of creation of this land mm. for Sauron um, again we still don't quite know Adar's relationship with Sauron if any, I mean True. there's part of me that's still thinking that actually he seems to be working under his own agency, but that's mainly because we haven't seen him, you know, with a planthea talking to Sauron right. or, you <laughs> know, up the phone. Yeah. well, exactly. <laughs> some kind of middle earth phone, like uh, uh-huh. device. Yeah. And, um, that's not to say he's not working off instructions. Although so. it felt like he was a little bit offended by Waldreg calling him Sauron. Yes, um, for sure. Because he tasks him with killing Rowan the minute he's, told that he's there to follow Sauron or whoever you are we're we're here to bow down to you or whatever I guess uh yeah he kind of was backtracking quite a bit Waldrick when he saw the power of Adar and how much he offended him by calling him Sauron he was going uh oh maybe I've made a bit of a mistake here <laughs> yeah although like I felt sorry for Rowan yeah, as well and um, I mean we didn't see him get killed we didn't but it looked quite a strong possibility. It felt like this is a seven plus show. Uh, the rating on it is, uh, is a really seven and above. So I think when things are being left to your imagination on this show, it is possible that uh, yeah, characters exactly. have died. Well, that's what I thought. <laughs> yeah. 
I, yeah. I definitely thought he was a goner, but it I felt like he's a, like he's a character that's had a few lines in yeah. the episodes, and you know, some people were speculating that maybe he was Sauron. Um, you know, at, at one point that Theo this the Theo's not friend, anymore, he ain't. Rowan um, was Sauron, but uh, but it doesn't seem like it. Um, yeah, but the one thing I, I I suppose about this whole idea where um the key to opening up. Um, Mordor in uh, in the Southlands is here at the Watchtower of Ostrath. I know we'll get more of it in the future, but I'm just not too sure I understood it from what happened in, on screen here without Undir explaining um, and seeing this thing that he's that he's seen for the last hundred years, this statue uh, that seems to be holding a similar blade to the one that Theo has been carrying. It seems to have the mask of Sauron um would that be right the kind of the metal mask that we've seen Sauron yeah, have in yeah. the future it seems to have that and it seems to have this um hilt of a sword that Theo is now carrying I wasn't sure what he was saying whether he was saying you know if you stick the sword in this statue then it will suddenly well that's what I create Mordor here that, that's how I took it mm. I thought that um, or is this a statue to what will happen in the future? Is that somebody will no, and I think unite the two together. I don't know for sure, but mm. I ultimately that's why you know we hear it are um, being told that the tunnels are complete, mm. and he says bring bring forward the legions, mm. and we see the orc army that he has yeah. moving up towards the the watchtower, mm-hmm. and so. It feels like at this tower there is a dark magic or some kind of um, altar or or that will enable and is connected to the hilt in in order to do um, and create the dark realm of of Mordor. Mm. So it to me it it, it felt like after Theo had shown Arandir the hilt. Um, I think Arandir says, you know, that Adar knows that your son, this is to Bronwyn, mm-hmm. has what he needs to enact the power of a god. Right. Um, which, at the moment, I'm going with is to turn the Southlands to Mordor. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that there is this sigil um, or, or depiction of what needs to be done. And it almost seems like it's the sword going through some form of sacrifice. Right, right. Uh, and whether then that will release a particular dark magic that will help create Mordor, I don't know. Yeah. But this Watchtower has suddenly uh, risen in importance. It certainly has. And it also is, you know, when you look, even though they're saying it will take them two days to get there, they look relatively close. Mm. So, you know, there's there's still time for someone to come to their aid. I mean, for me, this feels like this series um, version of Helm's Deep to mm, some extent. I could see that. You know, yeah. defending the the watchtower. Yeah. That is kind of the difficulty here, isn't it? Because Bronn was trying to get all of the Southlanders to unite together and have this as their stronghold, and half of them left because of the um, the pressure, I suppose, from Waldreg saying, look, we have an opportunity to get out of here or we don't have to fight. All we got to do is, uh, is give fealty to the new leader, Adar. Um, yeah. We also got a bit of a, an answer to our question about um, the possibility of orcs uh, living in sunlight in the future, didn't we? Um, from the conversation with Adar yes. and the orc, where he basically burns the flesh of the orc in the sunlight, saying, I wish you could feel it like I can. 
um, we will not have a sun here soon. The sun will be gone from yeah. here soon. So lands of Mordor, no sun overhead uh, in the future. So that's effectively what he's saying. So, um, yeah, I, I thought that was kind of cool. That they, It was that a really good a moment. Really, yeah. yeah, you know, that, that sort of personal sort of reflection mm. from um, Adar, and, definitely. Yeah. And it, it does connect him back to the elves as well, doesn't it? Because... Um, he sounds really regretful that he's going to have to sacrifice yeah. having the sun in the sky for the for the plan that they have in the future well, for changing the world, and, and which, mm. given all the the parchments in Numenor that Galadriel found, you know, I, I feel Adar is working to that plan mm. that has been written by Morgoth Sauron mm. um, in terms of this plan of creating. A realm for evil. Yes. Um, the other interesting thing was, um, to me in all of this was a that actually Theo stays. You know, you see Waldreg yeah. telling him to come. Mm-hmm. Effectively, this is our chance. Yeah, this is our chance, mm-hmm. and he stays. And then that he shows the hilt to Arondir and to Bronwyn, but mm-hmm. also the words that the orc had said in the previous episode about, you know, this is needed for my master. Yes. So I thought they were two kind of interesting things. We were talking about whether, you know, Theo would be corrupted by Mm. this hilt. And, you know, we see kind of like the self-scarring and when his blood gets into it. And that's why I feel there's a sacrificial element to this hilt. Yeah, Um, Yeah. That, it requires blood in order to get to its full form. Mm-hmm. We haven't seen that yet. And um, we haven't seen its full form or its full power. That's right. Yeah. But this is the hilt that everyone's looking for mm-hmm. effectively. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. Maybe Theo isn't as, um, predestined to a, a violent end as we thought in the past. Maybe he still is, but at least he's making the right moves here and, you know, Talking to his mom and talking to talking to Arondir yeah. for help uh, rather He's than just going. He's ended up to off. having the party, um, you know, whilst the folks were away. Exactly. exactly. Uh, you know, he's, yeah. he's, he's, he's owned up to raising the drinks cabinet. Yeah, and basically, if he'd gone off with Waldreg um, to uh, to Adar, it could have been him on the other end of the knife uh, instead of uh, instead of his friend uh, yeah. Rowan. Who wasn't really his friend? He left her behind a few times, <laughs> but uh, but it could have been Theo there, uh, yeah, being, definitely being at the other end of uh, of the knife of Waldrek. Uh, so um, he's made the right choice, I think, uh, for the moment. Anyway, um, anything else about the Southlanders, John? Anything else about what's going on over there? Um, the only other interesting little point is that they do realize where they are when they realize that the the orcs are moving against them and mm-hmm. um, they do realize that they're in a watchtower that has a beacon. Mm-hmm. So when there's a final shot where you see the torches of the orcs as they're marching towards uh, Osterith and, um, and you see that the, I think that the beacon is lit. Very good. I missed that. I saw them looking up at the tower and I was going, why are they looking up there? Why is the camera pointing up the tower? But I didn't notice the uh, the fire on the top of it at the end. That's very cool. So, uh, so lighting the beacons of Ostirith uh, to hopefully bring uh, some aid uh, from somewhere else on Middle Earth, yeah. huh? uh, which I presume is our tale for our final tale for this episode. Yes. Uh, moving on to the Numenorians, I guess, because 
that's hopefully the supporting army that's going to be uh, cracking its way across the sea uh, to the Southlands, hopefully in time to save the, save the Southlanders. Well, that's it. Like, I, I think what I really liked about this was that both Halbrand and the Numenorians depicted through uh, Kemen, uh, Farazon's son, mm. as, as well as Elendil's uh, daughter, Erin, mm-hmm. um, it's them weighing their destinies here. So yeah. on the one hand, the queen has of, of Numenor, uh, the regent Miril, ha- has ordered for this force to be um, brought together to mm-hmm. go and um, help their Southland brethren. And yet, Kemen and Arian, um actually don't seem to want it to happen. Even though you get that great scene with Kemen and his father, um, Farazon, where Farazon talks about, you know, I quell that protest, that slight, that disquiet, but it's not about going with the current, it's how you master the mm-hmm. current. And that ultimately, you know, Farazon is starting to see this as men in Middle Earth, who will be indebted to the Numenorians mm-hmm. for the help that they have received? Yet, Kemen is still effectively adamant to try and scupper this expeditionary force by blowing up the the ships. Mm-hmm. And then you have um, Elindel's daughter, who just. I guess possibly because she doesn't want to see her father and her brother Isildur go off, mm. is this needs to be stopped. And it's the two of them coming together, possibly that persuades Kemen to try and blow up the ships um, to stop the this expeditionary force. Yeah, yeah. so it, seem, it seems like, you know, and I'm... I'm when I watched it the first time, I wasn't convinced that I enjoyed this. Well, I didn't enjoy it the first time. This idea of putting that amazing moment at the end of last episode where you had the Queen Regent coming out and making her speech about we need to reach out to the world and people see these portents of bad, but we can make them good and we can go out and do something positive. And then suddenly this episode, it was like, and here's all the barriers between you and the ships taken off. And then it felt like it was stuck in place, but it just made lots of sense the second time we saw the episode, the second time I watched it through going... Because this is what you would face, in a sense. Exactly. You you wouldn't be able to have, as a Queen Regent particularly, because she's not the true power. Her father has just been pushed out of the seat of power. She's taken over as Queen Regent. You would have lots of challenges from the people of the city to the idea of you taking them to war for the first time yeah. uh, in long in a long long time uh, i'm i'm sure the seafarers the the uh, the group that go go around protecting the caesar and numenor i'm sure they've seen battles seen fights protecting the land of numenor but they haven't gone out as a war as a warrior, warrior race back to middle earth to join a big battle for centuries you know it's almost like they're being told to be swiss it's your neutral that all the forces are to defend numenor yeah and you know that's what there will be yeah and and here is that neutrality at least for a long time Mm -hmm. because they fought in the great war with against morgoth that that is now coming back so i mean you've had a significant period of peace and prosperity but that 
now it's they're they're off to war and I, I think ultimately those dissenting voices that is normal you know it's valid mm-hmm. in that sense yeah. so i think it's really good that they just show that you know the kink in the right we're all off and we're off going and it, there's no questions asked you know mm-hmm. here we have Kemen asking his father why he's suddenly in favor of it despite what he was saying the previous day in in the square yeah and he talks about mastering the current whereas i think for Alindel's uh, daughter it's a bit more personal Absolutely. because her brother mm-hmm. her father are going off exactly. into this war and exactly. um, and she feels it will ruin her family yeah. effectively by hook or by crook for Isildur really he's been kicked out of the sea guard he keeps pleading to his father to give him the ability to get on board he sneaks on board one of the ships luckily because uh, he's the one that stops Kemen from mm-hmm. uh, from burning the entire fleet uh, even though he accidentally burns down two of the ships um, but he, he does, covers for him as well. He does cover for him and gets his place as a reward. Uh, gets gets on board these ships to go out and go back to to Middle Earth and and fight in this battle. So Asildur uh, was going no matter what. We kind of knew that because he has a, a historical place in these kind of battles. So we kind of knew he was going. But uh, they certainly put lots of obstacles in front of him from uh, for for sending him uh, him over there. But. He's there on board, even though he's a bit of a deck swab. Um, that's kind of his job, right? Well, he's so. in. The, he's been put in the cavalry, so mm-hmm. he thinks he's all high and mighty in the cavalry, but mm-hmm. he is the stable boy, effectively. Yes, yes exactly. Which exactly. I liked. Yeah. Um, I really liked as well Gladriel here mm-hmm. um, teaching the lessons on how to kill orcs to um, the uninitiated, effectively. Yeah. Uh, I thought that was great little sequence with her dancing around talking about it, it felt almost dare I say it, game of thrones with aria and her swordmaster and um, and needle yes. where it's it's about a dance it's mm-hmm. about balance it's not about brute force yep. swordcraft why use brute force against an orc which will probably be 10 times stronger mm-hmm. use them in the dance to get the advantage. I love that whole sequence with Galadriel. I thought it was really, it was really uh, special for sure. Absolutely. And we, and we heard, you know, it did connect in with Arondir's training of Theo using the bow and arrow, this idea of they've had thousands of years, thousands of years to perfect their fighting style. This isn't someone coming into battle for the first time or their first ever battle or they've fought for two or three years in battle. This is someone that's fought for a thousand years or a couple of hundred years anyway. Uh, We're not too sure of the actual age of Gladriel. Never ask an an elven uh, maiden her age, uh, of course, but she's saying she's perfected her style of battle over so many hours, such a long time and is now training uh, these guys who know how to you know, stick it with the pointy end, effectively. But, um, but she's training them in in other skills and other styles and other ways of dealing with beasts that they may never have fought before. I really enjoyed this, and again, it does point to why Galadriel is such a good fighter that we've seen throughout the previous episodes. Once again, it's not just because she 
is a trained fighter. It's because she's a trained fighter that's been in battle for centuries, you know? So, of course, she's going to be much stronger than six young men who've never fought in in a battle before. And she's going to be able to best them really easily, the same way that she did with the guards last episode. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. The other side of this that I really like with Gladriel is her effectively using Halbrand, who doesn't know he's being used. But when Mm. he does you know, quite rightly, doesn't like being used. And Mm -hmm. I I love where he turns to him and says, find another head to crown. You know, this needs to have Halbrand there as the descendant of the king of Southlanders. Mm -hmm. Um, And Queen Muriel, you know, is adamant he needs to be there Mm -hmm. to give that weight to what's happening. And he's still being very reluctant. And you, you have this tension between the two. You know, he... Uh, they have this great conversation where he says, you don't know why I left there. You don't know my reasons. You mm-hmm. never asked. Um, Galadriel talks about why she is so, you know, like a dog with a bone, mm-hmm. effectively. It's, there's the, the vengeance, the sorrow of Galadriel and why she fights. Um, and Halbrand is like, well, that's that's not necessarily, that's not going to bring your your brother back it's not going to help you and she says hammer and tongs won't heal your scars either Mm -hmm. um you know whatever he's trying to escape so i really enjoyed um the this back and forth between halbrand and and gladriel here i think it really kind of exposed gladriel's motives Mm -hmm. and brought it on a par with halbrand as well with him ultimately turning up and some quite nice armor that I never knew he had. Same with Galatriel, actually. Well, yeah. Yeah, there's a couple of things that go pretty quickly there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I do wish they'd spend a little bit more time on the decision of Halbrand yes. to go. Agreed. Um, they, they make it really clear he doesn't want to, and he's fighting back against it, and he throws his uh, his uh, the runes that indicate that he is a descendant. He throws them on the table and walks out the door, and then you see his hand come back in, pick it up, and then... The scene isn't there. The scene that you're expecting where he's in the council chamber with Queen Regent Muriel and Galadriel Mm -hmm. isn't there. It was really odd. I have to say it's, it's the first time where I've kind of been like this, this is odd. Yeah, exactly. Unless they're going to do it somehow in flashback, but I can't see it myself. So this felt, really weird as to why it wasn't included i know it's an hour and 15 minute episode and i know that you can't have every single seed in any in any show but it just felt because they were building up this idea of him not wanting to go back him taking a job in the guild yeah exactly uh, we see that amazing sword that he's that he's done he's certainly got skills yeah uh, in the guild i can see why they took him on board uh, but um because he's so reluctant to go, you would ex- expect it to have a moment where he makes his actual decision and you see it on screen, you have that conversation because that's what this show tends to do is show you those moments of the decision-making and the discussions that get you there. And I felt like it just wasn't there on the screen for this episode. It wasn't. Um, it it yeah. really wasn't him. Like, why did he change his mind? Uh, I guess he changed his mind because he I, thought about it, but yeah. I, wanted, I wanted a little bit more. Exactly. Bit more. You um, wanted him to lay it out on the table and to be involved with that. And then, you know, for Queen Muriel to say, 
let's prepare for war. Mm-hmm. And they go off and get the armor that has been created for them, rather than yeah. all of a sudden they're on horseback in full armor. I mean, they arrived in a boat after being shipwrecked at sea, and effectively, mm-hmm. like, Galadriel was in a nightgown. That's right, yeah. Um, so, like, just that kind of stuff. I n- yeah. I'm not saying I need to see the armor being sort of made or whatever, mm-hmm. but, you know, something. Because yeah. it, it, there was a real break there, and it yeah. kind of, that felt like a jarring omission. It just felt me. unusual for this show. You know, we've talked about a little bit about Lord of the Rings and the, the new House of the Dragon constantly skipping weeks and months and years to get them to the story they want to tell, whereas this show has tended to be res- relatively real-time. Uh, you've tended to spend yeah. time with these characters. Uh, so you're wondering how long it would have taken someone to build uh, Galadriel's amazing-looking armor to perfectly fit her um, when you haven't had elves there for a couple of hundred maybe a couple of thousand years. Um, yeah. So, uh, well done. It does look amazing. The armor looks incredible. I'm looking forward to uh, to seeing her in battle uh, when they do get over to the Southlands. Uh, any other notes about uh, the Numenorians, John, or any other notes about the episode? And the only thing, again, really, really interesting, is we have the Queen Regent with her father, the King, where he warns his daughter don't go to Middle Earth. All that awaits you is darkness. Oh, yes. Um, really apocalyptic mm-hmm. in, in what he is saying to his own daughter. So now we don't get anything more than that, really. Yep. But whether his time with the Palantir showed something else mm. compared to what it showed. Uh, to his, his daughter, yeah, who knows? That's entirely possible. Yeah, but in many respects, we know that to be true for the Numenorians. Mm. Um, given that they don't make it to the Third Age, mm, true. Um, <laughs> then he's quite true here. I mean, I say other than a scattering of mm-hmm. Numenorians and their mm. bloodline uh, in. And across Middle-earth. Yes, yes. Interesting. Interesting one. Uh, looking forward to seeing more of this uh, when we get on to episode six of The Rings of Power. Overall, John, what did you think of this episode of The Lord of the Rings? Episode five, Partings. I, I really enjoyed it. Um, I'd give this four and a half uh, frostbitten hands out of five. Mm. Um, I really enjoyed all of this, um, to be honest. I think the main downside to it was as you mentioned just that kind of a mission of Halbrand coming into that suit of armor mm. there needs to be something other than him picking up the pouch that he's worn around yep. his neck and then all of a sudden he's on horseback in a pretty nifty bit of armor mm. but it was like 12 weeks later i liked all the rousingness of it i liked the fact that they you know they they make a point that not everyone is behind the queen here, including, mm-hmm. you know, her chancellor's um, son. I loved the continuation of um, Elrond and, and Durin and, and just effectively Elrond having to come clean, really, yeah. um, about the deception that's occurred to him. Again, there was another really interesting moment here from Gladriel in this episode where she talks about her team mutinying and then she was put into exile 
um, or, or it was looked to put her into exile even by one of her closest friends, I Elrond, which yeah. really just that mindset of how she perceived what was done that to her. I thought that was really Carnival, something yeah. additional to that from mm-hmm. the earlier episodes. Um, I think with with Nori and the Stranger, again, I think that's just still keeping things in the mix, depending mm-hmm. on where ultimately they are going. But it was nice to be back with the the Harfoots. Yeah. And I, I think starting to understand a bit more about how Mordor will be created in the Southlands, the mm-hmm. importance of this hilt that Theo found, really good to to have that start to be sort of sort of the information on that peeled away. Mm. Interesting that Theo stayed and told Arondir and uh, his mother about the hilt, but again, yeah. uh, suggesting he's not suddenly just been taken by this hilt. There is yeah. um, a hope in the same way that you had with Frodo and the ring. Yeah. So, um, yeah, for me, four frostbitten hands out of five. Excellent. Derek, Excellent. what did you think of episode five? Yeah, I really enjoyed it. There's there's lots of stuff that's going on there. Yeah, again, I'm glad that the Numenorean decision is now done and they are on the ships on their way now to Middle Earth. I'd hate if they stopped in the in the bay now to have a, another argument about whether they should go or not <laughs> uh, to delay them going. Um that's the only part of this episode I just felt like they could have done more things with, you know. Yeah. Um, it, it felt like all the obstacles uh, against them going, but there's some other great stuff in the episode. The, the battle between the Balrog and uh, and the elf oh, yeah. over the Amazing. tree above the above the uh, misty mountain. I just thought how that was delivered because it's something that's been committed to history by the elves, and they had. Uh, that Gilgalad had Elrond recite the poem of that tale. I thought that was really interesting yeah. to have it done that way because it felt like that kind of callback to something ancient and it was delivered so well uh, on screen. Love that. Um, really looking forward to the rest of these stories uh, for the rest of the season. Another three episodes to go and I, I think they've been doing a great job at again here um, setting everything in motion for where we're going to get to. Uh, as the season goes on, I thought that they did a great job. Excellent stuff. Well, we get on to some feedback from our wonderful fellow ringers, John. Yes, definitely. Uh, our first bit of feedback uh, for episode five is an email from Victor Von Doom. Salutations, my lords. Hmm. I find it amazing this story was conjured from Tolkien's notes and scribblings. Hmm. I must say, I really like the design of the new Minorian ships. It's nice to see Isildur patch things up with his mates. He's be- he best not blow it again, though. Mm-hmm. I think his father will put him to the test. To my mind, the stranger must be a wizard. But who were the pasty people tracking him? Mm-hmm. Previously arrived wizards? I found Gladriel's instructions to the troops quite enjoyable. Only Elendril truly knows with whom they sail to Middle-earth. She is amazing. Mm-hmm. And I'm always impressed when he and Galadriel speak Elven to each other. Mm-hmm. Hopefully Halbrand is fully on board with the mission. I can't wait to see him in a fully-fledged battle. Will Farazan's plotting and machinations help bring about the destruction of Numenor? Mm-hmm. Keeman is severely misguided, and I think not so sharp. <laughs> he should have ignored the stowaway instead of exposing him. He wasn't even thankful to Isildur saving him and creating the cover story. 
seems like history is repeating itself with the Southmen. Uh, while Elrond has found himself in a hard place, I think his choice informs Durin solidly. I hope the prince can get this past his father. We are most fortunate to have such great storytelling here and across the platforms on the horizon. Take joy in it. Andethrasithil, Victor Von Doom. Great stuff, Victor. Um, yes, I, I kind of agree with you with Kemen. I think, um, yeah, he's pretty he, misguided. He's, yeah. He is a bit misguided and seemingly, yeah, if you're doing something sneaky and you think you might be blown by someone, then yeah, don't, don't take off the, the sacking that's going to, you know, actually identify you yeah. for, with the stowaway. Yeah. Plus as well, just with his interactions with Elendil's uh, daughter, uh-huh. then it was going, was that informing some of his decisions because yeah. she was so against it for personal reasons? I think or, so. Because I'm not entirely sure that it was because of his father, because his father was actually trying to work him around to yeah. his point of view about you need to see beyond the immediate and master, you know, how things play out rather yeah. than react to how things play out. Yeah, if there, if there was one thing this season that felt Game of Thrones like, it was Farazan and his, his speech. That felt like something, like I'm the one who knows What's actually going on here, Kevin? Sit back, take notes, and you'll learn how to yeah. play the Game of Thrones, is what it sounds like exactly. from Farazan. But I think you're right. I think, uh, Kevin, he had said before he went to Farazan that his ears are never open to my words. So I think the reverse is true as well. It felt like Kevin's ears are not open to Farazan's words either. So even though he told them what seemed like a very convincing argument to let this go ahead... I think Kevin was totally set on impressing uh, the girl that he's trying to date now. And uh, maybe that's not the only reason, but uh, it felt like that's part of the reason. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Great stuff, Victor. Thanks for the feedback. Absolutely. Thanks, Victor. We also have a voicemail in from Dr. Bob Phillips again for episode five. Superb. Well, episode five. Cool. So we are back in with our lovely little knot hobbits and hearing all about their migratory lifestyle and the joy of they are not wolves those are seriously (laughs) mutant beasts chasing them but we do get to see some magic from starman which is very very lovely and it sort of illuminates the little faces of the hobbits which aren't hobbits still but they're gonna be aren't they anyway quite like that arc and it sort of feeds into the other bits, which which were full of sort of collaboration and collaborators and conspiracies and half-truths and little bits of not quite being honest with each other. Mm-hmm. All of that darkness throughout, and, and yet some, the dwarves and the friends through this, seem to be able to negotiate those challenges that they are faced with. And that is coming through more strongly than it has done in the previous ones, I think. It still is a visual spectacular. It's amazing to look at. And 
this just isn't telly anymore, is it? We're seeing episodic films being produced on a scale of which you couldn't have dreamed of five years ago even. It is amazing to be in the middle of this bubble, but I do reckon it's going to crumple sometime soon. (laughs) Anyway, I enjoyed that. It's a great way to spend the end of a Friday evening, and I hope that it suits your holiday when you get back. Lovely to speak to you all, and I'll speak again next week. Thank you so much, Dr. Bob. Yeah, it was a great way to spend uh, some time after we got back from our holiday uh, watching this absolute visual spectacle. It's incredible um, how amazing this show looks. And I, I, I'll, I'll say it as well, the writing on the show has been fantastic. I'm absolutely loving the story and how it's how it's building the way it's building. We know we've got eight episodes uh, for the first season and potentially five seasons uh, overall are coming for this yeah. show. But uh, I also do wonder, uh, yeah, will that bubble burst before uh, the final episode is produced? They've already moved production from New Zealand to uh, the UK for the next season. So I'm hoping they've done lots and lots of drones flying over the top of New Zealand to <laughs> they've mapped photograph New Zealand, every single exactly. part of it uh, from every single angle so that they can use it uh, for for the next season of the show. But it is absolutely gorgeous. Well, I guess to give the the mountains in mm-hmm. the commas some height. But, I mean, nonetheless, unless it's going to be then the next four seasons of Hobbiton, uh, uh-huh. that, would, that would work. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, for sure, it's... Uh, just the the spectacularness. I mean, as Bob said, the visual spectacular of this show mm-hmm. the is quite incredible. Yeah. Um. And. But I'm glad of being married with such good storytelling yes, as well. Exactly. And, and, and such a great cast. And, and great uh, music. Yeah. Fantastic cast. Mm-hmm. Um. It is really good. I mean. You know, this is an epic story as well, and yeah, it does get intimate moments, but. At its heart, it is epic storytelling yeah. of good versus evil. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. Uh, so, great stuff. Thanks uh, for the voicemail, Bob. Yeah, so great to hear from you, Dr. Bob. Hopefully, we'll hear, you, hear from you again for episode six of The Rings of Power. Uh, we did get another email in from Gail Cleary. Uh, she sent an email in to us at feedback at tvpodcastindustries.com. Uh, she says, hi, everyone. Well, this was a slower-paced episode that focused more on character and future setup. It had some interesting themes and the visuals, as always, continue to be impressive. The battle over the tree was a fantabulous standout, but most of all, the combination of music, visuals, characters and dialogue finally feel like we have now fully arrived in Tolkien's Middle-earth. In fact, this feels even closer to the way I envisioned Tolkien's world than Jackson's films, which is astounding considering how excellent those films were. The first theme of this episode is either the innocence of youth or the folly of youth, depending upon the cynicism level of the surrounding characters. Nori confidently telling the stranger that he is not a peril is the picture of innocence. She doesn't know enough about the stranger to know whether he is a peril or not, but she's too innocent to know that and learns that lesson the hard way when inadvertently being hurt by his healing spell. The young people in Numenor naively believe that war can be stuffed back into the genie bottle. They don't understand how power and greed work yet. Those are currents we all have to learn to navigate. Isildur is suffering from the particular delusion of youth that insists a person needs neither experience nor specific training to be trusted with important tasks and succeed in them. 
I'm sure his being taken along to war is going to go splendidly for everybody. <laughs> Finally, Elrond has no inkling that his innocent friendship with Durham was being exploited for the greater good. Luckily, he maintained just enough in innocent optimism to be honest with Durham and trusted friend to agree to help. However, it is doubtful that Elrond is able to understand the lengths of Gilgalad has gone to, or is still prepared to go to, in order to save all the peoples of Middle-earth. Kingship comes with an extra helping of means justify the ends in this world. <laughs> Even when characters act with the best of intentions, I fear we're going to find out exactly why dwarves hate elves so much by the third age. The second theme surrounds fate versus choice. Halbrand expresses that people of his kind are always fated to do terrible things and his only choice is to stay away from the situation. The Southlanders indeed have to struggle with pledging loyalty to evil. Many see this happening because they are inherently bad and believe they deserve what happens to them. However, they all miss the point that when a greater force says comply or die, any meaningful choice is taken off the table. Identifying with your oppressor is a sad psychological outcome frequently experienced by people put in such terrible situations. It can keep them trapped in the, in the cycle of self-hate for a very long time. Galadriel now grasps with that her circumstances initially came from her choice as a younger sibling. She now understands that obsession eventually removed choice from the equation to the point that others viewed her as a danger. With any luck, she will now start the process of becoming more tolerable. The writers even take a pot shot at the innocence of the audience. You are Sauron, aren't you? Yes, yes, of course we are all guessing who Sauron is and are all probably wrong, including me, you got us. <laughs> Great stuff. <laughs> Some final stray thoughts from Gail. She says, it appears that the mosquitoes in Canada came from Middle-earth. <laughs> <laughs> the wolves look like escapees from the Dark Crystal. The fiery cradle the stranger came out of looks a lot like an eye. Tara Palantir has the world's most convenient form of dementia, don't go to Middle-earth because darkness. I guess we have to forgive one silly little plot trope per episode. Theo overcomes typical silly child syndrome and actually shows his mother and Arundhati that scary key. I bet that opens the door to Santa's workshop. <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> so all the mithril jewellery the elves wear contains the light of the Valar and is acting as a literal form of life support for the elves in the Third Age. Now I understand why Elrond had a breakdown over Arwen giving Aragorn her necklace. By taking it off, she started the process of fading, dooming herself to dwindle until she became a fairy or a sprite of the current age in the last war entire continents disappear anybody else think it might have been epic to have gone back to the first age and see that war <laughs> give me the meat and give it to me raw Duran missed the TV 14 memo for this show <laughs> Disa is getting one fine table Halbrand seems quite displeased to have taken a bath it's almost like he knows what it does to the female fandom <laughs> and finally a quote from Gilgalad, when all of the senses sleep, the eye of hope is first to awaken, last to shut. And a quote from Gail, hope is a fancy word for denial. <laughs> <laughs> Looking forward to the podcast, Gail. Thank you so much, Gail. Some great thoughts there about, yeah. uh, about the episode and the show itself. I, I, I totally know what you mean. Watching this show, sometimes you suddenly feel you're in the world of Tolkien. And that's what the show is yeah. is really attempting to, to do very well and is achieving for me, uh, definitely on a weekly basis. I feel like I'm just sitting there uh, back reading the books of Tolkien. Um, and I think... These episodes have just done such a good job. These last two, particularly four and five, have really done such a good job of fleshing out that world and allowing it to breathe more. And there's no criticism of Jackson's movies that he did such a great job 
in all six movies, I'll say now, after watching the extended uh, version of The Hobbits, I think all six of them have some great things about them. But of course, the Lord of the Rings trilogy being the uh, being the better of the six. Um, but no criticism of him. There is no way you could have done this version of Tolkien in uh, in movie form. Uh, not yeah, not at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and really good with the that theme breakdown. Looking mm-hmm. at you know with the episode from the 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 different side of the innocence of youth. Uh, you know, versus, um, the, the whole theme around fate versus choice that mm-hmm. we're so kind of linked into with the Aragorn storyline as well. And yes, a, a bit like yourself and with Dr. Bob, you know, yes, they were some fairly sort of warped looking wolves. But I mean, <laughs> this is wolves from the Middle Earth world, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. But it's supposed to be a mix of wolves and hyenas, apparently, is, is the, where the design point was taken yeah, from, okay, from which, which kind of makes sense. But then, hyenas then are scary as hell. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, thanks so much for your feedback, Gail. Yeah, thanks so much, Gail. And thanks to everybody else who sent in feedback to us uh, for this episode. One final piece of feedback over on Facebook. Yes. Uh, Richard Blaze says, It was all right, better than last week's, but still nothing special just yet. Mm. Still by far the prettiest show at the moment, but the characters and scenes are becoming a bit too generic. Halbrand, not wanting to be king, suddenly decides he will be king and appears all regal immediately. I'm sticking with it in the hope it gets better, but it is feeling like a very, very watered-down version of Tolkien's stories. Um, Thanks, Richard. Interesting. You know, we discussed it just before around Halbrand. You know, there was certainly something missing there yeah whether it was a scene here whether it was a bit more uh around him coming around um to to wanting to be this kingly figure on mm-hmm. horseback that we see at the end of it and i mean i think you're right you know we we got that development from aragon over like you know over three hours worth of movies effectively at least with the extended cuts yeah and and at this stage we are on you know five hours so it's a it's a good amount Mm -hmm. of time into it so i can certainly see where you're coming from in that respect Mm -hmm. and for me i think it's still kind of at least hitting the the right pitch and 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 points along this way definitely think Um, yeah but also just in terms of your point around feeling like it's very watered down, it is basically from his notes and scribbles, as Victor well, mentioned, yeah. you know, to some extent. So, well, effectively, you know, and, and I know Richard has read Tolkien, like he knows, he knows Tolkien really well. Um, it's written from the appendices, which are historical notes. It's just, there's no narrative attached to them as such. There's, there's some, um, it, it's just not that interesting to read. I, I suppose it's not it's not like a story telling you this entire history of what's going on at this time in Middle Earth. It's taken from uh, yeah. the notes and the appendices. So it, it's not just notes and scribbles because no, actually Prime Video don't have uh, have um, access to those. They have access to only the appendices from, from Lord of the Rings where they've built their story out of it. Um, I don't think that it's a watered down version of Tolkien. In fact, um, I, I think they've done quite a good job of creating this story around it but we were having a discussion myself and john which we watched uh the two episodes of the rings of power that one of the interesting things about bringing something like tolkien to life particularly now when there's been a lot of um fantasy movies that have been successful and a lot of fantasy tv shows that have been successful when the difficulties with tolkien is that 
because he started a lot of these things and a lot of other fantasy writers have took them on board and changed and developed them over 40 or 50 years for whatever story they wanted to tell some things that Tolkien would have written or did write have become tropes because they are the basis of what other people the straw man I suppose of what other writers have taken on board and built onto um so sometimes the the idea of the big bad and people being corrupted and um everybody being basically decently good unless they have uh, a, a villain turning them to the dark side. A lot of that stuff has become tropes because so many other people have built their stories on top of that. So uh, so I do wonder if that's something that uh, might be difficult um, for people that don't know Tolkien's writings. Um, I wonder if that's something that might come across with Lord of the Rings. You know, you certainly couldn't compare this show to House of the Dragons, as we've said before, yeah. which is, you know, who's going to get stabbed in the back this week? Um, it's not that type of show. While they're both fantasy, they're both very different types of fantasy. So I do wonder if uh, if it feels like watered down Tolkien, Richard, because there's so much other fantasy out there that feels like it was built on to Tolkien. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think as well with all fantasy, and it's to a large extent it's with sci-fi, you have to build worlds in any fiction, mm-hmm. even if it's just in a house you know in terms of what yeah. happens there the, here i think the epic visualness i guess of it is an attempt to build world i mean it 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 must be a real struggle to get that balance mm. on how deep you go in terms of the law and different aspects here and then the wide shot that you need to do that shows the world in which these people, these different races, um, and, and you know, live, and yeah. that you know that the the higher level, broader look at you know the suspicions and grievances between elves and dwarves, elves yeah. and humans, dwarves and humans, and so on. So. That world building thing, I I think, can be a, a real, probably struggle in a world that expects TV of a certain type. Yeah, I guess yeah. ultimately, and by that I mean continually action filled and so yeah. on. You know, that's that's why I don't think I would ever kind of demean that vista setting mm-hmm. uh, or a piece of action happening in that vista, like with the Rondier. Uh, last week, mm. um, saving Theo and his mum from the orcs coming through the forest. But nonetheless, I, I, you know, I think valid points there, Richard. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Great to hear from you. And hopefully, uh, you'll stay on, uh, watching the show. Yeah. And, uh, hopefully it'll engage you a bit more in the next couple of episodes. Great stuff. Thanks everybody for your feedback on episode five of the Rings of Power. Please keep sending in your feedback to feedback at tvpodcastindustries.com or pop on over to our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash tv podcast industries uh we are still covering lots of other shows on uh tv podcast industries covering uh marvel she hulk the sandman on netflix just a couple more uh, episodes of those two shows to go um you can get all those by subscribing to the podcast at tvpodcastindustries.com but on this feed for the rings of power we'll be back with episode six next week yes thanks so much fellow ringers for joining us for our episode five discussion in the meantime though Keep on with the Rings of Power and keep watching, keep listening, and keep sailing west. Bye. Bye.